This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Acts 26, 20-32 Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, "This man could not have been set free. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar." You know, I was thinking this morning as Janelle was um, talking about the sunlight and and uh, Pastor Erica uh, with the sun coming down and into her. Her face, how glorious that is, isn't it? Isn't the sun beautiful? And how in a couple of months we'll be saying, oh, if only the sun would shine through the windows of the church. Uh, we know that, don't we? That, that time is coming. And then how when the sun is too bright, we can pull a shade down and, and it blocks the sun. And uh, we have a little bit of relief from that direct sunshine. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the sun in terms of the Son of God our risen Savior, Jesus, who is the light of the world, and how there are times in our lives when um, things block the radiance of the sun. They can be small things or they can be larger things. It's like taking the the shade and, and pulling it down and it deflects, absorbs, blocks the sunlight. Or taking your hand and putting it like this. Your hand's something very small, and yet, placed properly, it can do what? Block something that is very large and very radiant, the sun. And I think about that in terms of life, how situations, challenges, adversities can befall us, and they can be of various sizes, but how they really threaten to come between us in the radiance of the one who is the light of the world. Uh, The radiance of the one who lights the path, the way. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one who is the bread of life. Um, The one and only one in which true life can be found. Paul writes in Romans 8.28 these words, For God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For God works all things together for good. Right? For those who are called according to his purpose. Now I hear that and cognitively I believe that. And yet in those times of adversity or challenge those times when the circumstances of life or the obstacles that we might face come between us and the sun, they can seem daunting. They can seem 
larger than the presence of the Son in our life. And yet we know that's not true. We know that, that God is greater. He's greater than any circumstance, any situation, any adversity, any challenge that we're facing. And yet, sometimes we focus on those things so closely that we fail to see the bigness of God and the truth of His promise that even in those difficult times, times in which all things aren't good, but times in which a good and active and present God can take those things and use them in a redemptive way, uh, in a way that we could not even imagine at the time we're going through them. Now, I believe that. Okay? I believe that. And that, that's my hope in life. Uh, nothing in life is wasted. That God does work in every situation in our lives. And as we surrender them to Him, even though at the time we don't understand how, um, God uses those things. And uh, I'm convinced of that, and our scripture today is a testimony of that. The Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 26, has been through a series of trials or hearings. Um, there have been Jews who have sought out the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem and they're bringing accusations against Paul that he's a violator of the Jewish law that he's a ringleader of a Jewish sect called the Way those are followers of Jesus and not only that that he has gone so far as to to desecrate or dishonor the temple itself and in those charges of course as the ringleader of this sect uh, they're implying that he also is committing treason uh, against the Roman government because he talks about a king named Jesus. And, of course, in, in Rome there is no king, if you will, but Caesar. And so in Acts chapter 26, he's at the, the end of a, of a two-year period of time that's been very difficult. Two years in which he has been, uh, if you will, uh, under palace guard that he has faced these numerous trials and hearings, facing the same charges over and over again. And can you imagine what that must have been like for him? Maybe he was asking, God, what's going on here? Why is this taking so long? Am I really going to get to go to Rome to testify about the gospel? And yet, it was those two years that God used in the life of the Apostle Paul and in the lives of all those that were around him, those who came to bring the charges against him, those who were the guards who kept him, the, the king, remember Felix, who would call upon him frequently to talk with him. God used that time in a powerful way, in a way to communicate the gospel to other people and in a way to prepare Paul communicate the gospel in the highest court in the Roman Empire, the court of Caesar before Caesar. And so although it seems like this is a long, difficult, arduous time for him, God is working all things together for good. For Paul, who's been called according to God's purpose. Can you see that? What preparation those two years was for him? 
It wasn't as if he just went right to Rome to stand in Caesar's court. No, the Lord gave him two years of wonderful preparation, several hearings and trials in which to hone the message, right? To prepare him to bring that message to Rome. And so we see that happening here in Acts chapter 6. It's the end of the two years. Uh, There is a new Roman governor. His name is Festus. And uh, Festus, in Acts chapter 25, at the end of 25, and now in 26, he receives Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II. Herod Agrippa II, or King Agrippa, was from the Herodian line of kings, beginning with Herod the Great in 40 B.C. And it was Herod the Great, who was his great-grandfather, Herod Antipas, who was his great-uncle, Agrippa I, who was his father. He's in that line, and he's going to be the last of the line of the Herodian kings that have ruled and have served and have assisted the Roman government in the area of Palestine and Judea, in in that area of the world, okay? And so here is this young king, Herod Agrippa II, and he is coming to meet this new Roman governor, Festus. Now, Festus has a dilemma. He doesn't know what to do with the Apostle Paul. And so he, he has to, to send Paul off. He's agreed to send Paul off to Rome, to, to Caesar's court, to have a hearing before Caesar. But he has to prepare papers to explain why he's sending him, and he really can't explain why. He's really not sure. Because there's a lot of charges that are being brought up against Paul that that have to do with religious affairs. Uh, The Jewish authorities in Jerusalem are bringing these charges against him. And Festus, being a Roman and not a Jew, uh, he's not so familiar with the religion that he understands the nature of the charges. But in his mind, he doesn't think that Paul is guilty. There's nothing that Paul's done that, that he can do anything about. And so here he is. He wants to send Paul off, but he has to send papers with him explaining to those in the court in Rome why he's sending Paul. Well, now here comes Agrippa II with his sister Bernice, which, by the way, uh, historians tell us that they had an incestuous relationship. Um, And she, of course, uh, has another sister named Drusilla, remember, Drusilla is married to who? The former governor, Felix. So do you see all the connections here? And so Bernice, Agrippa II's sister, and Agrippa II come to meet with Festus. And Festus says, here's my opportunity. I'm going to ask King Agrippa about the Apostle Paul and about these affairs, these charges that Jews have brought against him, because... He obviously has a deeper understanding than I do. And maybe he can help me understand so that I can write papers when I send off Paul to Rome. You see, this is the context of our chapter 26. And so what's going to happen is, with great fanfare, uh, with Roman leaders, Jewish leaders, with King Agrippa, with uh, the governor Festus, They're going to hold court. It's really not a trial. It's a hearing. And they're going to bring Paul in. And Paul now is going to have an opportunity to explain to Agrippa 
what's been happening. He's going to address the charges that have been brought against him. And he's going to explain it in the context of his own life and his own testimony. So rather than giving a complex legal defense, Paul is going to take this opportunity to actually share his testimony with King Agrippa. Now, the plot thickens. King Agrippa II is the last of the Herodian rulers, okay, that were active from 40 B.C. to about 100 A.D. during that time span. But each of his predecessors, his great-grandfather, Herod the Great, okay, the, the first Herod, if you will, King Herod. Remember King Herod? King Herod was the king who the wise men came to, and when he heard about the birth of the king of the Jews, Jesus, he sent the wise men out to find the baby Jesus. Why? Not to worship him, but because he wanted to destroy him. And you might remember it was Herod the Great that had all of the Jewish baby boys two years and younger murdered in an attempt to kill Jesus. And so here, Herod Agrippa II has his great-grandfather, Herod the Great, who in his rule and reign perceives Christ as a threat. Now, his great-uncle, Herod Antipas, was the Herod that was working with Pontius Pilate and the other Jewish leaders who tried Jesus. And so Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa II's great uncle, also had an encounter with the message of, of, of Christ, right? Then we see Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa II's father, the one who preceded him directly, He was the one who had Peter thrown into prison and, historians say, is partly responsible for the martyrdom and the execution of James. You see that? So now it's his turn. And he's going to hear the message of the gospel. He is going to be, as all of his relatives before him that preceded him, those rulers they are going to be confronted with the issue of what to do about Jesus. You see that? Generation after generation, we see these Herodian kings facing the gospel, facing Jesus or the message of the cross. And now it's his turn. And so Paul is going to share. And if you open up your Bibles... To Acts chapter 26, there's a couple of really interesting things I want to point out to you. Now, in Acts chapter 26, Agrippa begins by giving Paul permission to speak. And so Paul motions with his hand and began his defense. And in verse 2 of chapter 26, his defense begins. Now, it's interesting. Do you remember at Paul's conversion in Acts chapter uh, chapter 9 where there was a man named Ananias and the Lord appeared to him in a vision 
and told him to go to meet with Saul of Tarsus. That was who Paul was, right? To meet with him after his conversion, to assist him. And of course, Ananias was a little bit reluctant because Paul was the great prosecutor of followers of Jesus. And he said, you know, God, you know what you're doing? You know who this man is? You want me to go to him? Right? And the Lord said this, and this is really interesting. In Acts 9, verses 15 through 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I must show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, exactly what the Lord told Ananias Paul was going to do, what do we see Paul doing here in Acts chapter 26? That very thing. Because before Paul in this hearing, before Agrippa, there are... Religious leaders from Jerusalem, Jewish authorities. There's King Agrippa II. There's the governor Festus. There are leaders from the Roman military. They're all present. They're all there. And they're all going to hear now Paul give testimony to the gospel. Isn't that interesting? That's a, that's a powerful thing. Now, remember how we talked about these two years have been a preparation for Paul, preparing him ultimately to go to Rome? Here's another great verse. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Luke 12, 11 through 12, okay? Luke 12, 11 through 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. So, again, now, who's writing the book of Acts? Luke. Luke, in his gospel, records the words of Jesus. And now Luke, in his go- or Luke, in the book of Acts... It's going to record the words, the testimony of Paul before kings, leaders, authorities, right? Gentiles, Jews, there he is. Luke is recording these very words. And can't you think about Luke remembering as he's writing this down? Ah, this is exactly what Jesus said when he spoke to the disciples. Not to worry, but that the Holy Spirit will give you the words. When you stand before authorities, kings, and rulers. You see? And that's exactly what's happening here with the Apostle Paul. And so Paul begins his presentation, his testimony, his personal testimony. And it's divided into three things. In verses 4 to 11, he talks about his pre-Christian life. His pre-Christian life. And he talks about what he did. How he persecuted and, and uh, sought after Christians um, to arrest them, to have them imprisoned and have them put to death. He talks about 
who he was. He was a Pharisee. He was a, um, a chief prosecutor. And he talks about that. Then, beginning in verse 12, he talks about his journey to Damascus. You remember he got permission to go to Damascus to, to find Christians there and to, to hunt them down and to persecute them? And he tells them, he tells the king about that story. And, of course, he recounts exactly what Jesus said to him. In Acts 26, verse 15, Then I asked the Lord, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness to what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. All right? So he talks about who he was before Christ. Here, he talks about his encounter with Christ, his conversion, and his call. And then in verse 19... And following, he talks about his obedience to that call. All the part of his testimony. And he says here in verse 19, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Then he continues on. In verse 22, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to be uh, to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own and to the people and to the Gentiles. Okay? Now this is building up to a crescendo. Alright? He's told the king about his life before uh, his encounter with Jesus. You know, the king would have been familiar with that. He would have known those things. He would have known of Paul and his reputation. So he's just reminding the king of things the king already knew about. Then he talks about his encounter with Jesus, his life-changing encounter with Jesus. What a powerful thing. And how Jesus had given him a call to go not only to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. And now, he's talking about his obedience to that call. And in verse 24, Festus, the Roman governor, interrupts Paul to fence and says, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Okay? Now, Paul's not disrupted by that. He keeps his focus on Agrippa because it's Agrippa that he is speaking to. So Paul says in verse 25 of chapter 26, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable, verse 26. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. In other words, the king knows all about these things, because everything that I'm talking about, he already knows, because it was done publicly. People are talking about it. Everybody knows about it, and he's no exception. Okay? But the difference is... know about the scripture the prophets 
But King Agrippa does. Then in verse 27, Paul asks this question. And this is a key moment in this hearing. This is a key to the whole chapter. Okay? This is the Holy Spirit working through Paul, preparing him for this very moment. Right? The two years of challenge and adversity and and other hearings and trial and and being brought against, uh, charges brought against him over and over again. It's going to crescendo right here. This is good stuff. Are you ready? It's right here in your Bibles. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Now the king, right, is backed in a corner. Here's the situation. If he says no, then the Jews that are there, they're going to be upset, right? How could you say no? You know that's true. The prophets are true, right? What they taught was true. But if he says yes, then what is the next thing he has to say? Well, yeah, I believe in the prophets and yeah, what they say is true. And by acknowledging that, then what is he doing? Validating Paul's claims about Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So he's kind of stuck. What's he going to do? Well, this is what he does. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul in response... Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? He never answers the question, does he? He deflects. Have you ever had a conversation, a spiritual conversation with somebody about Christianity? About the work and person of Jesus Christ? About His resurrection? Right? About His death on the cross for our forgiveness of our sin? You ever had a conversation with somebody about that? And you you get to a place and rather than what? Answering the question? What are you going to do with Jesus? What do people do? They deflect, don't they? They deflect. And that's exactly what Agrippa's doing here. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Okay, now what is Paul going to say? What would he say? What would you say? Put yourself in Paul's place. This now is going to be an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to declare the bottom line of his life. What he understands his purpose and meaning as a follower of Jesus to be. It's the bottom line. Okay? And here it is. Are you ready? It's good stuff. Short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. All right? That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line of his life. That's the bottom line of what he understands his purpose and his calling to be as a follower of Jesus. 
King Agrippa, it doesn't matter in a short time or a long time, I desire you and all who are listening to me that they may become as I am, that they too might become followers of Jesus Christ, that they may have a life-transforming encounter with the only one, right, that is capable of giving them true life, forgiveness of sin, through His resurrection from the dead. Right? Paul says it right there. And that's the bottom line. It's interesting, though. We also see Agrippa's bottom line, don't we? Agrippa's bottom line was the retention of power. Continuing to play political games. Not willing to risk his position, his authority, his reputation. Any further by responding to Paul's question. You believe the prophets, don't you? King Agrippa, I know you do. Well, that's his bottom line. In his failure to respond, he's declaring his bottom line. Do you see that? And so, King Agrippa III, like his father, Agrippa I, like his great uncle, Herod Antipas, like his great grandfather, Herod the Great, all had an opportunity to respond to Jesus. But like all his relatives before him, his bottom line is, I'm the king. And I will not give up rule and authority of my life and my kingdom to anyone, especially to this one named Jesus. Do you see that? Man, kind of gives you chills, doesn't it? And as we read that, Paul says, I pray, God, that you, uh, that you are the only one or that, um, that those who are listening to me may become what I am except for these chains. Paul is practicing as he's praying. He says, I pray that you come to know Jesus. Exactly what he's going to tell his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Are you ready? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is so cool. By the way, prayer is a major, major part. It's the foundation of conversion. If you have a heart for people to come to know Jesus, boy, you just pray for them. Pray for those in their life. Pray that the Lord would bring people around them. Pray that the Lord would open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to receive the message of the gospel. Prayer is vital in our ministry for the Lord. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, through 4, later on, Paul's going to write to Timothy. And again, I can think of Paul reflecting on this event that we read about today as he writes. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's exactly what he tells the king in his response. Isn't that cool? Do you see all the connections here in God's Word? Man, it's good stuff. Well, what happens? With that, Agrippa and Festus leave. They discuss everything that happened. And what 
is their conclusion. What does Agrippa say at the, at the end of the chapter? He says, you know what? Paul hasn't done anything worthy of imprisonment or death. And if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could be a free man. But you know why he's not a free man? Because his bottom line was to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to Rome. He was a slave for Christ's sake. And so he did the hard thing, not the easy thing. His bottom line was to testify and testify he would because he had what? Claimed his right as a Roman citizen to go to the high court. And next week, as we begin chapter 27, we're going to talk about his journey now in getting there. It's good stuff. I hope you stay with us with that. Finally, I want to close with a verse. It comes with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 19 through 23. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the bottom line of his life. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, right? So that as to win those who are under the law... To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Because Christ was the new law, wasn't he? Okay. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. As the worship team comes forward this morning, I want you to consider where God has placed you in your life. The circumstances of your life are unique. For some of you, they may be daunting and challenging. For others, you may be right where you think you need to be. But wherever you are, the Lord wants your bottom line to be to live for Him in the world in those circumstances. And this morning, as we close the message, I would just ask that you would search your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you and to speak to you and to help you discern ways in which you can become all things to all people. That you might be Christ's ambassador. That your bottom line is that wherever you go, that you might live for Christ in word and deed. And as you do that, participate in the blessing of the gospel. Amen?